We'll be in uh, 2 Timothy for our text this morning. In chapter number 3. And if you, uh, somewhere along the line during the course of the service, if, if you feel like uh, saying amen or praise the Lord, we're okay with that. I like it. And uh, I said something, I was begging for amens a while back, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was in the part where, you know, I, I really thought, man, I'm saying something here that's really important. I wish somebody would say amen, you know. <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to say amen. I said, you know, I, I don't think if I had $5 I could buy an amen or something like that. Norm and Nancy Wood, probably watching on this uh, broadcast right now, they, uh, they're our friends here at Liberty Baptist, and they heard that, and so this week I got a letter in the mail from them, and there was a note with one word on it, amen, exclamation point, and five $1 bills. <laughs> so I just wanted you to know, I've still got those five $1 bills right here, and I am buying amens today. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter number three. In verse number one, the Bible says, This know also that in the last days, now the last days speaks of the, the days actually in which you and I live. You say, how do you know these are the last days? Well, I'll tell you more about that as we come along. But we are in the last days. Have been ever since the time of the Apostle Paul. And so uh, he says, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to, a not to the knowledge of the truth. Let's stop right there and pray and ask the Lord to bless the message today. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it speaks to our hearts and reveals truth. And Lord, as the Bible says, thy word is truth. And I pray that you'd let us connect with that truth today. Lord, not just so we can be maybe a little better biblically educated, but Lord, so that we might be responsive to your will in our lives. And our lives might actually be changed and be different because we have been in contact with you. I pray that you'd bless us this morning. May the Holy Spirit of God speak directly to our hearts through the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to preach on this subject today, a panoramic view of end-time events. A panoramic view. You've probably got it on your camera on your phone. A panoramic view. I mean, you can take your camera and just sweep around the whole 
landscape, and, and it will take a wide-angle view and just get everything that you swept by all in one picture. Well, we're going we're gonna to try to bring a message with a panoramic view of the end times. There's a lot of events that's going to take place in the end times, in these very last days. A lot of events, and sometimes it's confusing to people to know what happens next and what happens in each one of these events and who does it affect and why am I interested in it anyway? Well, every year when September comes around, just about dawn, I'm awakened abruptly by the sounds of gunfire (laughs) every September where I live. Several farms and fields out that way. You know what it is. Dove season. There hadn't been any seasons really much open during the summertime, but so September kind of marks the beginning of hunting seasons. And boy, those, those dove hunters are out there early, and I think it's legal to start shooting maybe 30 minutes before sunrise or something like that. And so as soon as those doves begin to fly in those fields where some grain has been left behind during the harvest, uh, those hunters are cutting loose. Bam, 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 bam. It's kind of an, an abrupt awakening. It's starting the season off with a bang. <laughs> well, there are signals to dove season and hunting season, but there's also signals to the last events that's going to take place on God's calendar. And while we bring messages occasionally on this event or that event or another event that's going to take place in the end times. I'd like to just bring it all together in a brief version today. The key word is brief. Uh, it's going to be a brief version of the whole, she- the whole shebang. And we won't go into great detail about any one of these events, but I want you to see it, listen to this, in the chronological order that they're going to occur according to the scriptures. So then once we've established maybe some interest in how the whole panoramic view fits together chronologically in the order they occur, then we'll come back over the time to come and we'll, we'll bring each one of these out in more detail with the information that goes with it from the scriptures. And just about everybody's interested in prophecy because we'd all like to know what happens in the future, wouldn't we? And while we might not know when they're going to happen, how they're going to happen, or exactly what takes place, we can know a lot from what the Scripture reveals to us. I roast my own coffee beans. Some of you know that. I love to roast my own coffee beans. I buy green unroasted beans. I've got a little roaster at home. It looks about the size of a blender, but it's got a heating element under it, and it, it air roasts those beans. And so I can roast the beans light, medium, or dark, get the coffee beans just like I want them. How many people love coffee in here? Oh boy, you're my friends. <laughs> I love coffee lovers. And so I roast my own coffee beans. I, I, I buy them from distributors who import them from all over the world. And my favorite is an Ethiopian type coffee bean. That's where they say coffee originated in the first place. And then they started getting these coffee bushes uh, distributed all over the world. They grow in high altitudes somewhere near the equator. And so I get a new coffee bean that I haven't drunk before. When I order it, I don't want to just order something I don't think I'm going to like. Well, there's a lot of difference in coffee beans. And so the seller lists a description under each coffee bean 
of what kind of flavors you can expect from it. And so they may say something like, this bean has some notes of plum, stewed peaches, maybe a nutty flavor, something like that. Now, I'm not a professional coffee taster, so I, I can't just sit down and drink a cup of coffee and tell you all those notes that's in one. But if I read them that somebody else who is a professional has done, then it kind of clues me in if I think I'll like that bean or not when it's brewed in the cup. And so those who are able to do that, I read their description. And once I brew some, I sit there and sip on it. And if I don't read their description first, I can't pick out all those flavors. They just kind of all blend together and it's just coffee. (laughs) But if I sip on it and then read their description, I'll look and say, hey, I think I can taste that blueberry in there. Um, Take another sip. I think I can taste a little bit of that plum or stewed peach flavor in there. And so I can pick them out if I've got somebody to help me to know what I'm looking for. And in the end time events, when God's calendar begins to come to pass, if we've got some help from the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God, we can pick out those individual things and we can see the details from the Bible how it's going to come to pass. And so that's our, that's our plan for today. It's in, why should anybody be interested in this anyway? Because God has a master plan and everything's going to come to pass as he has already prophesied in his book. And since we're part of his plan, are we not? Every one of us is part of his plan. So at the final events of the ages, we're going to be part of it. Some of, we'll be part of some of these events, and from heaven we'll be part of everything that's finally coming to pass. And so since we're a part of it, we're a piece of the puzzle that's going to fit together. We ought to know how we're involved and how it will affect us and our families. So this is a brief overview of the end time events. Notice with me the chronological panoramic view from Scripture And we're going to look at the very first thing that takes place. The next thing that takes place on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. And while we don't know when it's going to take place, we ought to be ready. And the Scripture uh, instructs us to be ready. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, I'm going to read that to you. It's read at Gravesides. Often, isn't it, Brother JT? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is read at funerals a lot. Mrs. Sutton and her daughter Charlotte are here. Brother Sutton, one of our church members, passed away yesterday, yesterday morning. And so they'll have a funeral coming up next week, probably. This scripture is read at a lot of funerals because it offers us consolation, and hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Now ignorant just means it's something we don't know. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It just means we don't know. There's some things I'm ignorant about. I don't know how to work on a jet aircraft engine. <laughs> you know, I, I'm ignorant about that. And uh, you might not know how to do a certain thing that I know how to do or vice versa. But it doesn't mean we're stupid. It just means we don't know about it yet. And so Paul says, you don't know about this yet, but I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And asleep is just a softened version of a word for death. Brother Earl, 
is asleep. His body will sleep in a grave until the rapture happens, the resurrection, and then that body will be awakened. He said, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. We believe Jesus died and rose again, don't we? And he said, because of that, and you put your faith in Christ, you'll come out of the grave as well. And he said, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now verse 18 says, Wherefore comfort each other with these words. And that is a great comfort. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Without giving all the details that we'll present in a future message about the rapture, it's just this simple that as a Christian when you die and go to the grave, your body will come out of that grave one day and it'll meet your spirit which coming back with Jesus in the air. The Bible says he's coming back in the air in the clouds of the sky. Our body will be caught back up together with them. You'll be reunited with your spirit. There's no such thing as soul sleep. Your soul is alive somewhere. If you're a Christian, it'll be, and you already, already died, your spirit will be alive in heaven. And so we have that to look forward to. When does this happen? Well, now there's people that set dates before. <laughs> and guess what? Every last one of them have been wrong so far. So will anybody ever get it right? Well, if you pick, Pick 365 dates out of every year, then sooner or later I guess you'd get it right. <laughs> but so far nobody has guessed it, and the Bible teaches that nobody does know. We just know it's going to happen. So this event is next on the calendar, and we don't have any signs saying that it's going to happen on a certain date, but we do have signs that's going to follow that we're going to see in just a minute that will tell us from that point on, once the rapture does occur, from that point on we can see some dates. Maybe not the very 24-hour date, but some pretty close days and weeks and months and years. We'll be able to see that. Well, I say we, we as Christians alive right now won't see it, but people on earth who are left behind after the rapture, see what happens when the rapture takes up the Christians. It's just the Christians going up. And everybody else is left behind. And that's not a good thing. So the second thing that happens after the rapture of the church is the tribulation period. It's, a, it's called a week in Daniel chapter 9. It's a week of years, seven years. And in a future message, we'll give the details how we know the week is seven years. But just maybe you can take my word for it for now without going into long definition and searching of the scriptures. We can show you that this tribulation period will be seven years long. And it starts after the church has been raptured out. So beginning with that point, then you can see some dates. 
and we'll look at those individually in a little while. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. And this tribulation time will be a week of years. And it'll be the Daniel's 70th week. I won't read that whole scripture. We will at a future time. The third thing that's going to happen. First, you've got the rapture where the Christians are caught up. Then you've got the the great tribulation, or the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation going on on earth. And there's a time that is described in Revelation as such a time that's going to be really severe. The people who are left behind will go through a lot of hardship, persecution, martyrdom. Horrible things are going to happen. And I don't have time to tell you what all is going to happen, but things like stars in the universe going haywire, Maybe planets going out of their orbits. Hundred pound hailstones dropping from the sky. You say, you really believe all that? If God said it, I believe it. I like one preacher, the guy asked him, said, do you really believe that the whale swallowed Jonah in the Bible? He said, if God said Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it. (laughs) And if God said it, it's true. Third thing is going to happen. After the rapture of the church, then you got seven years of tribulation going on. Well, during that same time of the seven years tribulation, I said the church, those who are saved right now, they'll be caught up. Well, what will they be doing while the tribulation is going on on earth? Well, there's such a thing, number three, as the judgment seat of Christ. The Christians will be involved in this. This is a judgment of Christians, not of lost unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we, and Paul is writing this, he, Paul was definitely a Christian, and he says we, he includes himself, so we know he's speaking to Christians here. He says, For we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, there's some teach that when you get saved, since your sins are forgiven that you don't ever, ever have to worry about confronting that sin again. Well, you won't, because you won't confront the eternal consequences. Once you're saved, you're headed for heaven. You won't go to hell. But that doesn't mean you won't ever see that sin again or that wrongdoing again or that good deed again. Because God starts keeping score from the day you got saved. You see, I got saved April 13, 1980. And everything I did before that, you could say pretty well, according to eternal consequences, was a zero. It didn't count. Because I was a sinner, and anything I couldn't do anything to please God before I got saved, as far as eternity goes and salvation goes. But once I got saved, beginning that day, God started keeping score, and He sees everything. He knows your very thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows if you're thinking your preacher is ugly or handsome. Be careful. <laughs> no, I, I know the truth, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, the judgment seat of Christ will be going on during the time of the tribulation. We'll be in heaven and Jesus will be reviewing our life. Now, I don't know if he's going to put an overhead projector up there, a screen, and he's going to show publicly show everything that we did or thought. During our 
lives. That's why I think it's probably a good idea that we do control our thoughts because he does know. And if he shows it publicly, it's going to be embarrassing for some of us. I guess for all of us. But he will review our lives. Perhaps he'll do it privately. I doubt it. (laughs) It'll probably be public. And so that's for Christians. It will not be to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. That was decided on the cross of Calvary. When you trusted the blood of Christ, you were saved. And so there's no chance of you going to hell, but there is a chance that you'll face Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of your life. Remember, we're going through these events in the order that they're occurring. So there's rapture of the church, there's a tribulation on earth, and at the same time the tribulation is going on, uh, Christians are going through the, the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. And some might say, well, <clears throat> prophecy, since God's word is true and God prophesied these things, does that mean Calvin's doctrine of predestination, where every little event in our life is predestined by him, computerized into us so that we can't do anything but exactly what God programmed us to do? Well, I don't believe predestination is like that. He predestined you to go to heaven when you get saved. But the choice to be saved is free will choice that you decide at the moment. Now, once you make that decision, you say, I'm a sinner and I'm going to believe on Christ as my Savior. Well, then you are predestined for heaven because you can't lose your salvation. Isn't that a great thing? I heard the story (laughs) of the Calvinists. And and remember, the Calvinists, uh, some of them are pretty extreme. One of them was really one of those extreme ones. He thought every little event in your life was pre-programmed and and you just had to go through it, whatever it was. God already determined you're going to do that. He fell down a long stairway. Man, he's bouncing all over those stairs and he gets up at the bottom and straightens himself up. He's bleeding and bruised. and He looks around and he says, well, I'm glad I got that event out of my way. <laughs> they see life that way. It was predestined, and so you just have to go through it. What else happens in this calendar of God's? Well, there's something called the marriage of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, verse number 7. The Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Well, see, now here we are, Christians are in heaven. Tribulation's going on on earth. The judgment seat of Christ, now, once it is passed, he's cleansing his bride from any spot and blemish. The bride is the church, those who are saved. And so then, once that's all behind, everything's taken care of at the judgment seat of Christ, then there's something called the marriage of the Lamb. And it's, it's a... Ceremony, if you will, where Christ receives his bride to himself. Now, there is a marriage ceremony and there is a marriage supper. And the ceremony is what takes place in heaven. Some Bible students argue that the bride is Jewish and doesn't have anything to do with the church. Some say that it's only the church and doesn't have anything to do with the Jews. And some say that the Celebration is not just in heaven, but it will continue through the thousand-year reign to follow the millennial reign of Christ. And so 
I'll tell you as we go through what, what I believe about it, and you can make up your own mind, but the truth is there will be a marriage feast. I think there'll be fried catfish and hush puppies there. What do you think? <laughs> and coffee. <laughs> hey, we're having a soup supper tonight. Just in case I forget to mention that later, the church is having a soup supper tonight. People are bringing different pots of soup, and, and so we're going to have a good time tonight. So you don't want to miss out on that. It won't be quite like the marriage supper of the lamb, but maybe it'll be pretty good. I mean, you'll have soup and cornbread and crackers and probably some desserts. I saw one of strawberry soup. Who's making strawberry soup? Brother Chad. That's interesting. I'll have to try that. Now, there is, in Revelation 19, a second supper mentioned that you don't want to confuse with the marriage supper celebration of Christ to his church. The second supper that's mentioned in Revelation 19 comes in verse 17, and this supper is not one that you'd want to be involved with. It's a buzzard feast. When Jesus comes back at the battle of Armageddon, he will slay all those unbelievers who rejected him. The Antichrist and his minions will be cast into the lake of fire, and all of those armies that fought against God will be slain. Their carcasses will be lying all over the countryside, mostly around Israel. And those carcasses, you know what happens when carcasses are lying out in the open and there's a gazillion of them? You can't bury them all right away, so what happens? God invites the buzzards to come and take care of the carcasses. And so that's a supper that you don't want to be close to. Now, there's a fifth thing that happens during this tribulation. The fifth thing is the great tribulation. Now, we said the seven-year period known as the tribulation, it's divided into two halves, midpoint of this seven-year tribulation. Three and a half years from that point on will be called the great tribulation. In Daniel 9, 27, the Bible says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many, he being the Antichrist, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, in the midst of those seven years, 42 months, it says in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And the, the same thing is mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For then... At that midpoint in the tribulation, in that midpoint of the seven years, listen, he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. If the first half of the tribulation was treacherous, the last half is tortuous. And nobody would want to have to live through that. Even those who choose to believe on the Lord during that time, they will still have to flee for their lives. They'll be persecuted. Many will be martyred. We read about that in Revelation. And we'll get into that in a later message as well. There will be a lot of Jews who will finally trust Christ as Savior during the tribulation time because the tribulation is 
known in the Bible as Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. It's designed primarily for the Jews. It's to bring the Christ-rejecting Jews. Remember when they crucified Jesus? The nation of Israel turned its back on Christ and said, we want nothing to do with you. We don't believe you. We don't believe you're the Savior. We don't believe you're the Messiah. And so the nation of Israel as a whole turned its back on Jesus Christ. But during the tribulation, many of the Jews will suddenly begin to have the, the veil removed from their eyes and they'll realize, hey, Jesus was and is the Messiah, the Savior. And they'll turn to him. Many Jews will be saved and, and a lot of Gentiles. The Bible says from every nation, tribe, and tongue, there'll be people who are saved. But if I were you, I wouldn't hang around to see if I could get saved during the tribulation. Because the Bible says there's going to be strong delusion that people will believe a lie instead of the truth. Delusion is already being demonstrated today. I I used to wonder how could people be so deluded during the tribulation time? How could they be so deluded as to follow somebody as treacherous and dangerous and hateful as the Antichrist? Well, he will start out, the Antichrist will be very pleasant and personable at the beginning. He will make a covenant with the Jews to allow them to go on with their worship and build a temple. But in the midst of this tribulation, he stops all of that and then he turns on the Jews. And then the the world sees how bad and mean and murderous he is. And I used to wonder, how can people follow somebody like the Antichrist? Ah, but I began to see in recent years... How people are deluded already. People are being deluded into thinking things that's not even remotely close to the truth in educational systems. In news media, there's people who believe everything they hear pretty much on a news broadcast because the news said it, it must be true. Can I just tell you that most of the news can't be trusted anymore? Most of it is dangerous propaganda. A few sources, you can sort through it and get some truth, but the main majority of news media is propaganda. It's untrue. And if you can be propagandized by the news media, then why wouldn't people in the tribulation be easily deluded by someone who is the devil incarnate, the Antichrist. He's a master at deception. And then people today are being deluded. (laughs) Look here. (laughs) Delusion. Distraction. Boink. Do you see anybody doing that today? Are people deluded by social media? Hey, look at the TikTok stars. No, don't. <laughs> there are little, some, some mothers have daughters on TikTok showing their flesh, their body to the whole world, out there doing a little dance for the whole world to see how silly they can act. And you know what's worse? is there's a lot of mothers who are acting as deluded and silly as the little adolescent daughters. And let's not leave the men out either. (laughs) So you're saying, 
phones are not good or social media is not good. There's some good in a lot of things. I mean, you could go out behind McDonald's and look in their dumpster and maybe you could find a perfectly good Big Mac in there that somebody threw away, still wrapped up. But I don't think I'd want to eat it. (laughs) And we better be ever so careful of what our children and even we ourselves watch and believe from social media. You know what? Kids are beginning to think that TikTok and Facebook and all those things are, that's real life. It's not real life. You can glance at something a little while, but you better not gaze too long. As one guy said, you can't keep a bird from landing in your hair, but you can keep it from building a nest there. I'm talking about people being deluded during the tribulation time. And since the Bible says it's going to happen, I truly believe it will happen as he has said. Well, let's hustle on. Number six, while all these other things have been going on, tribulation is nearing the end. Then we see the second coming of Christ in glory. The first time he came was to catch the bride out, his church, just before the tribulation started. At the very end of the tribulation, then he comes back, not just in the air, but he comes back all the way to earth and puts his feet down on solid ground. And this is called the second coming. It's the second coming proper. It's the second coming in detail. It's the second coming in person. He will be present on earth at his second coming. And every eye will see him. Coming in the rapture will be a secret coming. People will wonder where all those dumb Christians went at the rapture. They think you're a religious right wing nut anyway. And they'll be glad to get rid of you at the rapture. But at the second coming, Christ is going to confront some things. In in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then, when? After the tribulation, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man coming in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's also mentioned in Revelation 1-7, Revelation 19. It says that when he comes at his second coming, his eyes will be like a flame of fire. Because, see, he's coming at the end of the tribulation and all those people that have gathered to battle him, the unbelievers who were left behind and Antichrist and all of his armies will be in battle against the Lord. They'll say, we can defeat him. And then Jesus comes and sets his feet down on the ground and he does battle and guess what? He wins. What about that Armageddon battle? Let's talk about that. Armageddon, it happens most most of the time we talk about Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, the final battle. Armageddon, even secularists make movies about Armageddon. They don't have a clue what it is. Armageddon is probably more related back through several battles that have been taking place during the tribulation time, but it culminates 
at the end of the tribulation when Jesus actually comes to earth. In Revelation 16, 16, it says, And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. This is where Jesus is going to end the battle. You know, there's... Seems like sometimes people say, man, everything about prophecy is just bad news. <laughs> everything's devastation. Everything's unhappy. Well, it just depends on whose side you're on. <laughs> you know, if you're on the Lord's side or if you're on the side of the devil. And I heard about the medieval astrologer who prophesied to a king. He's trying to tell the future. and He, he prophesied to the king that his favorite mistress was going to die. And sure enough, boy, just... Right after he prophesied that, she died. Well, the king was furious about it. He was mad at the astrologer, and so he, he, called, uh, he called for his, uh, I guess, his investigation team to seek out this astrologer. And the astrologer heard that the king was mad about it and was blaming him for the death of his mistress. And so uh, the king called the astrologer in, and the astrologer's trying to think. He knows the king's going to kill him. And so he figures, how can I avert this? What can I do? And so the king called him in and he said, Astrologer, prophesy to me when you will die. Quick-witted, the astrologer said, Well, I don't know exactly when I'm going to die. I just know that three days after I die, the king's going to die. And so he lived a pretty good while later. (laughs) We don't know. One guy said, If I knew where I was going to die... I just wouldn't go there. (laughs) I don't think it works that way, though, does it? The beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 19 and 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake burning with fire and brimstone. And so this happens at that battle of Armageddon when it's finished. The Lord casts the devil and the false prophet into hell. And then in the next event, we see right after this is Satan is bound in that bottomless pit. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. I won't read it for lack of time, but... He'll be cast and bound. That'll be a good time for those who are going through the millennial age to be able to live without a devil tempting you to do things, without a devil interfering with everything that goes on. Um, So life will be free of temptation during that thousand years from the devil, but people who are born in a natural body, listen to this, People, there will be some people born in a natural body who wasn't resurrected because they got saved during a tribulation and they'll, they'll go into the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years in a natural body. That natural body will still be a sinful body because it wasn't resurrected. And because they live in a carnal body, still have the sin nature, they will do wrong even though the devil's not there. You know what purpose that might be? Maybe God's thinking, well, I've got to show these people that even without the devil, if you've got a sinful carnal nature, you still can't do good. 
And that's the way it is for you and me, friend. If you think you can do good enough to get to heaven, you'll never accomplish that. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven. We only go to heaven because we admit that we're a sinner and we can't do right. And we need a Savior like Jesus who died to pay for our sins with his own blood. And since he did that, we will be resurrected with a flawless body one day. But we don't live in it now. And so those people who go into the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years, they'll live in a perfect society except for their own flesh that's still sinful. And that brings us to the millennial reign of Christ itself in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And it says, verse 5, But the rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. See, the Christians who went up in the rapture and those who got saved during the tribulation, once the tribulation period is over, Armageddon is passed, then they'll live with Christ in, a, in an environment, a government, finally a global government that will be good. Hey, don't ever think that, that, that all these people that are for a global government right now have the answer. No, sir, only the Antichrist believes that's a good answer. <laughs> but when Jesus comes, since he's the perfect son of God, there will be a global government. He'll be ruling and reigning through Jerusalem for a thousand years and it'll be a good environment. Eden-like conditions will exist again and people will be under his rule and he won't put up with any nonsense. I don't think they'll even have to have police officers during the thousand years reign. So guys, get ready for retirement. (laughs) Because people will be under Christ himself and he won't tolerate nonsense. Lawbreakers will be dealt with in a different way than they ever have been before. During this thousand years, the world will know peace. What happens at the end of that thousand years? It'll be here on earth. Those who were in heaven will be living on earth in that thousand years. What happens then? Well, in Revelation chapter 20, it says that Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. So Satan will be released after the thousand years are expired. He'll be released to deceive the nations once again. And since there are people who were born in a natural body during the, trib- uh, during the thousand year reign, they will be sinners who many of which will follow Satan even after everything that's happened. You say, how could anybody do that? Well, I don't understand how anybody could go through this life right now that we're in today without receiving Christ as Savior. If I wasn't saved right now, I'd get saved before the day's over. I wouldn't risk it. So there'll be a final rebellion of Satan and his followers at the end of the thousand years. They will think once again they can defeat the Lord, but that'll quickly be foiled. And then... There'll be a final judgment of Satan. He'll be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. And all those who followed him will be cast into the lake of fire. There'll be a destruction of the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. Did you hear that? The heavens will pass away. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
The earth also and the works that are in them shall be burned up. Everything you see is going to be destroyed. Your bank account will be gone. Your gold rings will melt. Your diamonds will disintegrate. Anything that you held dear, cars, houses, lands, it'll all melt with fervent heat according to the scripture. You say, you believe that preacher? Every word. So then what happens? There's going to be a loud noise if there is such a thing at the destruction of the elements of the whole universe. This universe is going to hear a loud noise and a bang and it'll disappear. And there will be nothing left but a little dust settling which will also disappear. And then here's what happens. There's a great white throne judgment of the unsaved. All those, listen, all those who rejected Christ in ages past, in the present, or in the future. Anybody who has rejected Christ and didn't receive Him as Savior, here's what the Bible says, the final judgment at the white throne judgment. That's different than the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the lost people. In Revelation chapter 20 it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face... The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. They were dead, but now they're standing. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. See, if you've never been saved, you die twice. You die the physical death, and then the second death is being cast into the lake of fire and a place of eternal torment, and the body will never burn up. It's an eternal destruction that goes on forever. It says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. It's a very sad verse, but it's true. What happens after that? Well, only saved people are left now. Everybody who was unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire. So what happens to the rest? Well, there's a new heavens, verse, chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 1 through 7. I won't read them all, but it just says in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And then it says that the tabernacle of God is with men. God's going to dwell with us in an eternal state. We who are saved, He will live with us in our very presence. Then you'll be in a glorified body and you will be able to look upon the very face of God, which nobody's been able to do in the past. And it says, God shall wipe away all their tears. You cry bitter tears sometimes now at the loss of a loved one in death, because of a, an illness, because maybe of a child that's gone astray, maybe because of financial loss or relationship loss. You cry bitter tears. But one day, if you're saved, the Bible says God's going to wipe away those tears. And there'll never be any more crying, no more pain. You can throw away your walking stick and your glasses and your hearing aids and your prescription medications. From that point on, 
God will supply everything you need and you'll never, ever die. So how do we conclude this? Well, if we as Christians know what's going to happen in the future, it will cause us to be better servants for Him because we're in His prophecy and He needs us to do His will on earth. The only hands that God has on earth are the hands of Christians. The only feet that God has on earth are the feet of you as believers. And he wants us to serve him. If we can, as Christians, if we can effectively construct in the minds of those who are unbelievers the fact that these prophecies will come to pass and as horrible as many of them be, they might serve the purpose to bring that person to consider receiving Jesus Christ now as Savior so they don't have to go through those horrible events. The key to it all, if you're not a believer, get saved today, right now. If you're a believer, believe that these prophecies will come to pass and it will affect the way that you serve and work for the Lord. We're going to have a word of prayer. We'll bow our heads and at that time... I'm going to ask you to stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And if you need to come and be saved, and I'm speaking to people on the Internet who's watching as well, if you need to be saved, now's the time to do it. Don't put it off. The Bible says you don't know how much time you've got left. The Bible says, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Nobody has the promise of tomorrow. You might lay your head on your pillow tonight for the very last time. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare me? If I could scare you into heaven, I'd do it. Trust him if you've never done it before. Our Father, we're thankful for the scriptures that alert us to the future events. I pray that you'd bless us, help us to receive it as truth. Lord, help us to receive it as something that will change our lives. I pray that you'd bless in the invitation to follow. And I pray that you'd touch hearts, make these people ready, Lord, to receive your word and make decisions accordingly. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to stand.